I want to say, you'll probably hear me say this even more times, but there's an idea. Uh, every once in a while, we do a little thing here called Mythbusters, where we talk about something that's widely believed in the church that's just not what the Word of God says. Uh, so uh, no condemnation, and we're not trying to call anybody out, but this is a bit of a Mythbuster, mostly not so much because of bad information being taught, but because of uh, some, somehow some global assumptions it seems like a lot of believers make. In fact, I made this assumption as a kid that the presence of God somehow is not here in the room, and then we say something to the nature of, oh, the presence of God is here, like it wasn't here a moment ago, and then all of a sudden the presence of God is here. That really is directly against everything the Word says. We could go over scripture after scripture that talk about how God is present. In fact, a lot of the same mouths, our own, that say the presence of God just entered the room, we also say things like, uh, you're never separated from God. He sees everything. God knows you. He sees you the day you were born uh, to the day you die, and even after an eternity you'll be with him. We do have this understanding that God is always present, but for some reason when we talk about his presence, there's a bit of confusion, like he wasn't here, then all of a sudden he is. His presence is an absolute in my life and in your life. He is always here. When we use that phrase, in his presence, uh, sometimes you can feel a, a difference in the room. Something happens. What happens, though, it's not God changing his position and coming to you. It is us changing our position acknowledging that he is in the room. Something happens, and this is based in Scripture. Philemon 1.6 says that our faith, which is spiritual, right? Faith is a spiritual principle, meaning there's, there's not a, a thing in the physical, natural world called faith that I can pick up and hold. Faith is a spiritual principle, and Philemon 1.6 says that faith becomes effective as we acknowledge the good things we have in Christ Jesus. There is something about acknowledging these promises that we sang about that are yes and amen. Man, if God promised you something, and he promised you a lot of things in the word, yes. if we are not experiencing that promise in the natural, let me just ask you a question. Did God mess up? No. Or do we maybe want to just go ahead and admit that in our own humanity, sometimes we miss it. When a promise comes from God, it's not like what the promises that probably a lot of us have experienced. I don't know. Here's an example. You're working at a job and you have a manager that says, you're in line for a promotion. What they really mean is keep up the good work. As long as your performance doesn't decline, maybe there'll be a promotion. It's all based on your performance. Well, our promises are also based on performance. But the confusion comes when we begin to think they're about our performance. The promises of God are yes and amen because Jesus already did the performance. Jesus already earned them and then gives them to us freely. Well, how come we're not walking in them? Well, here's step one. Acknowledge the good things you have in Jesus. The word is not magic beans that grow a giant uh, uh, vine in your backyard that lead up to the sky and treasure up in the clouds. The second you put them in the ground, the next morning you wake up, it's like Jack and the Beanstalk. Uh, they are like seeds. The word is like a seed, but it's not quite like that. 
The promises of God are yes and amen, but if you don't plant them in your heart like a seed, you're not going to experience the effectiveness of these promises in your life. That starts with our salvation. Your very salvation is an example of this. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Not behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the Christian. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of all those who believe that's not what it says. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So is this a message about universal salvation? No. No, it's not. Because like a seed, you have to come into agreement with the word that says his sacrifice took away our sin. And according to the book of Romans, when you confess that with your mouth, but where does it start? Believing it in your heart. That word that is a promise that your sins have been forgiven becomes effective and active in your life. We call it being born again. And sadly, not everybody's going to get there. Not everybody has gotten there. But that sacrifice was made for everybody. There were two thieves on the cross. Neither one went through baptism. Neither one went through confirmation. Neither one went through the motions of raising their hand while every head was bowed and every eye was closed. Neither one went through the motions. Yeah. Yeah. But one continued to curse Jesus and one said, will you just remember me? And then the same loving Savior that looks at you looked at this man and said the same thing. Today you'll be with me in my kingdom. Because that sacrifice that took away and paid for the sins of both of those men, one came into agreement and that word became real. And that acknowledgement made that word effective in his life. This truth starts at salvation, but then for some reason, so many of us get away from it. And just like the Galatians, our entire salvation starts with faith and belief. And we say, thank you, Jesus, I'm saved. And then we decide to go all of a sudden back to the law. Now it's about my performance. Now that I've said yes to Jesus' performance, it's about me. I can tell you one thing for sure. Your faith is never about you. It's always about Jesus. It's always about him. We talked briefly last week about Mary and Martha. This is such a great story about being in the presence of God. Why? Because two ladies were both in the presence of Jesus, God in the flesh. One of these ladies was experiencing the benefits of that. One was not. But they were both in the presence of Jesus. This is another example of, of this moment where God is always present. But we enter like a different realm of his presence as we acknowledge all these good things, including that he's here with us right now. This story drives some people crazy. It drives me crazy sometimes in my flesh. Why? Because in my flesh, boy, am I a spitting image of Martha and her attitude. Boy, I love performance. 
I love a good performance. I love my to-do list and my checklist so much that my weekly checklist starts off literally physically me writing down things I've already done just so I can check it off. <laughs> if you don't start your weekly checklist with a few things you can go ahead and check off, then you're not experiencing a good checklist. <laughs> Woke up on time. Woo. Woke up late, but still got to work on time. I don't know. Whatever you want. Sometimes I write a message I know is going to be long enough for two weeks. First thing on my next week's checklist, Sunday message. It's been done for a week, but I put it on there again. But, but Martha, this is, this is what I really want us to take away from today. Two ladies in the presence of Jesus, if you want a picture of who they were, Martha and Mary were the sisters of Lazarus, the ones who was raised from the dead. It, the word does not outright say that this Mary is Mary Magdalene, but all evidence points to this Mary being Mary Magdalene. Remember, she was the prostitute, the one who was filled with lots of demons. Jesus got those out of her, and she followed him and really became one of his disciples. And she was there, uh, you know, dressing his body after death. She was the first one that saw that he had resurrected. She was a very special person. So again, it doesn't flat out say this was her, but really all evidence points to this being Mary Magdalene. But either way, these ladies are sisters. They both understood the power uh, of the man who was sitting in their house. They'd seen him raise the dead. They'd seen him do miracles. They'd seen things that not many people in the world had seen. Martha was busy. My dad called busy being under Satan's yoke. And I'll be honest, he was onto something. Here's the thing about Martha, and here's what drives me crazy sometimes in my flesh, is she was busy with good things. She wasn't out there trying to live, a, a, she wasn't going to the casinos every night and betting all her money away and, and drinking herself to sleep and, and going out and looking for the next party and, and looking and getting high and stuff. She wasn't doing all the bad stuff. She wasn't doing the bad things. She was doing the good things. But Mary was doing the best thing. Martha was busy with good things Mary was resting in the best thing. And that's not just a play on words. Here's the story from uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42. Four verses. That's it. And if, man, we could take a lesson from these four verses, it can absolutely change our life. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. You ever tried to tell Jesus, do this? It's funny, is it? He'll, no, we'll get back to that. Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you're worried and upset over all these details. 
There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. This story is written about in three of the four Gospels. It's important. It's very important. In fact, in one of the accounts, Jesus says, this story is going to be told forever. That's how well Mary chose. Martha wasn't doing bad things. She was distracted by the good things. And let me tell you, there's a lot of us that have passed the point of the enemy being able to tempt us with all, all the reverie that goes along with the world. Now, there's a lot of us that we're going to get, we're past the point of, I'm going to get found out at the bar getting drunk every night. There's a lot of us who are past the point of, of I'm not taking care of my kids, or I'm going to run out on my family, or blah, 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 blah. Fill in the blank. But if the enemy can't get you distracted with that, he's going to do his best to get you distracted with all the good things. And over and over again in the gospel, Jesus pointed people away from the work and just to himself. In fact, doesn't this sound a little bit like the religious people that kept trying to point the followers of Jesus to the law? Jesus, they're breaking the law. They're picking grain and, and rolling it up into dough on the Sabbath. Jesus is like, yeah, they're hungry. They're like, yeah, but the law says they can't do that. And Jesus said, yeah, you know the laws very well, but what you'd never have seen is that they all point to me, and I'm here right now. Doesn't this sound a little bit like the story of Martha and Mary? Martha's doing the work, but Mary chose to just rest and sit at his feet. So first question, me, the busybody, thinks, then how's the work going to get done? I think here's a really good answer. I don't know. I don't know. Just try it and see. Try it and see. I remember a story when Jesus was hungry and there was a lot of other hungry people. There was a few pieces of bread and a few fish. They all ate. Nobody prepared that. Well, a lady did prepare that, but she didn't prepare enough for 5,000 men. She prepared enough for one little boy. There's a difference between prepping a meal for one little 12-year-old boy and 5,000 men. So I don't know. Jesus, how's the work going to get done? Just wait and see. I don't know. Just sit here. I've been thinking about this a lot this week. Again, Martha wasn't doing anything wrong. She was doing the right things. But here's the deal. She was cooking a meal that Jesus never ordered. She was doing work, and he never ordered a maid service. He said, be my daughter. You are my daughter. Mary listened. She sat at his feet and lived out this verse from Psalms. Chapter 25, verse 14, it says, there is a private place reserved for the devoted lovers of Yahweh, where they sit near him and receive the revelation secrets of his promises. That is where the enemy doesn't want you to go. Right. He'd much rather you be busy doing all the work and doing everything right than sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to him speak the revelation secrets of his promises to you. Man, that's good. 
you know, there's benefits to being in my presence. I'm going to tell you a funny joke. You're probably going to laugh. And if you don't laugh, eventually we're going to laugh at how bad the joke was that you didn't laugh at. I'm going to encourage you. I'm an encourager. If you come and hang out with me, by the time you leave my presence, you're going to feel pretty good about your life, your situation, and yourself. It's like, well, you don't know me. I'm in a pretty bad place. Well, then you don't know me because I can encourage you right out of it. I know who I am, and I know the giftings I have. But if you don't, come and sit across from me when there's an empty seat at a church dinner. You're not going to experience that. You're going to be in the same room as me, but you're not going to experience the benefit of being in my presence. Well, listen, if my presence is that good, let me tell you, the presence of God, the presence of Jesus is remarkably better because he dresses the lilies and the sparrows and he feeds them. Yeah. And compared to you, a lily, a flower, we step on those. They're here one day and they're gone the next day. Yeah. He cares about the flowers and the birds and we enjoy the presence of the flowers and the birds. How much more? Is his presence going to mean in your life? I'm going to read you just a short list of benefits you find in the presence of God. If they can keep up with me, I got verses for all of them that will flash up on the screen, but I'm going to go pretty fast. Psalm 1611 says that you'll find fullness of joy and eternal pleasure in the presence of God. 2 Corinthians 317 says that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is Three people knew that one. Now you all know it, though. So where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is. That's good. Isaiah 26.3 says, You'll keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. This is talking about being in the presence of God. Why? Because as we acknowledge his presence, we enter his presence. There's other verses. We enter his gates with thanksgiving in our heart. We enter his courts with praise. Another example that as we turn our attention towards him and his presence, we enter into that secret place where we then find fullness of joy, eternal pleasure, freedom, peace. Psalm 91 is filled with so many benefits. I didn't even list them all in my notes, but it includes rest, refuge, safety, rescue, protection. Starts off by saying, those who dwell in the shadow of the Most High. How about Matthew 15, 30? It's one of my favorites. People came to Jesus from all over, everywhere. He laid hands on them and healed them all. He didn't get their information first. He didn't say, well, let's find out if you believe in me. Let's find out what your background is. Let's find out what you believe. He just healed them. Acceptance, you find acceptance in his presence. Some of us haven't felt accepted in years. You find perfect love in his presence. 1 John 4, 16 says God is love. Psalm 25, 14, we already read it. We find revelation. We find direction. We find inspiration. Mary and Martha, let's go back to these ladies. Mary was experiencing Every one of these benefits sitting at the feet of Jesus. But what was Martha experiencing? Frustration. What was Martha experiencing? Aggravation. Jesus, do you see my sister? She's not doing anything. Comparison. That's another one. That's a whole other message. But Martha was not experiencing these benefits, even though she was in the presence of Jesus himself. 
in the flesh. Mary was finding every one of these. There's another great story. Jacob, who became known as Israel, lays down in a place called Bethel and he has a vision of a ladder to heaven and he sees angels ascending and descending. And there's a very quick verse that sometimes you can just pass by, but it's so important and so relevant to our lives. He woke up and he said, surely the presence of God is in this place and I didn't know it. Man, don't let your life pass by. And then from the great beyond, looking back at your life here on earth and say, wow, the presence of God was with me the whole time and I never knew it. I let frustration run wild. I didn't know his presence was there to give me peace. I let worry control my life. I didn't know he was there to give me confidence. I let sin destroy my life and the life of others. I didn't know he was there giving me a way out. Hebrews chapter 12 says that as we look to him, we lay aside the sin that so easily besets us. Again, that doesn't sound like work, does it? Looking to Jesus. A lot of times we relate getting past sin or, or habits that have held us back. We relate it to doing the work. I got to get this work and I got to get right. I mean, that's just, you're not going to find that in the Bible. It says, look to Jesus and then experience the freedom from what's holding you back. Because in his presence that we enter through acknowledging, through looking to him, we lay aside those things. We experience that freedom. Martha <laughs> was just experiencing the frustration. It's the difference between a work mentality and a rest mentality. You could say it this way. Because we, we do have to work, right? We gotta, <laughs> there's things to do. We can't always just, this, this image of Mary and Martha is physically Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. So what we got to do now is take this image, take what this truth found in this story is, and apply it to our entire lives. There is absolutely a time to sit still at the feet of Jesus and just physically, I'm talking about physically, sit still at his feet and just let him minister to you as you also minister to him. We have jobs. Parents are raising kids. Well, we know that's just a joy 24-7, right? The kids never, never uh, you know, fill up an entire day with plans you didn't even know about until the day before. And, and there's never a project that at 11 p.m. the night before it's due that comes up and, and says, oh, oh, by the way, I have to write a whole paper on Treasure Island tonight. Like, okay, uh, did you read it? Well, I need to read the cliff notes real quick. I mean, there's, there's never work that's involved with all that, right? That there's things that come our way, but here is the difference, and here's what we take from this story. Martha, in this moment, thought she had to work to earn something from Jesus, that she had to make the best meal, the house had to be perfectly clean. She was working for his presence. If I do this, 
I'll earn his favor. Mary was sitting there, and you can see this in her life from here on after. She still did work, but she did it from his presence. It's a big difference. Martha worked for his presence. Mary worked and labored from his presence. If he's always with us, and this place that Mary experienced at his feet is always available, then in any moment of our lives, whether we're sitting still and we make a decision, instead of watching two hours of television tonight, I'm just going to sit at the feet of Jesus. If you already thought you don't have time just to sit there, then I hope you don't have a TV show you like or, or a social media account because I can find some time right there that you can turn off and spend at the feet of Jesus. But if his presence is everywhere and we enter that presence through acknowledging, through our attention, then what if we just acknowledged his presence in every moment? What if we just acknowledged it as we drove into what we may consider a mundane nine to five job? A car ride, maybe we got an hour to drive to work, maybe you got five minutes, but what if we begin to even use those moments, every moment, by acknowledging his presence and seeing how that's going to change every part of your life. Our humanity, our minds will constantly tell us we got to earn what we've been given. But that's not the way things work in the spirit. Jesus earned a permanent place with the Lord and then said, and now I'll be the path for you to have that place. He also said things like, the poor will always be with you. Right now, just come spend time with me. That was a good thing, feeding the poor, helping the poor. But Jesus says, hey, they'll always be here. There'll always be someone to help. Right now, follow me. There's another story where this same Mary probably, took a year's worth of salary in the form of oil in an alabaster jar. She broke into a dinner party, broke the bottle, poured the oil. What's the, what's the minimum wage salary today? Like $30,000 or something? Poured thir Somebody laughed. It must be less than that. Uh, whatever it is, let's just say it was $20,000. So she opened a bottle of perfume, poured... $20,000 plus worth of it on the feet of Jesus. And then icing on the cake, she cried and washed it off with her tears and her hair. What a scene. Would you try to stop her if that happened up here? Would somebody run up here and say, hey, you're getting a little bit too, uh, a little bit too much. I hope not. I don't think that would happen here, but FYI, if anybody ever comes in and breaks some perfume, starts crying and mopping it with their hair, just let it happen. It'll be all right. It's called Freedom Church for a reason. <laughs> but 
the disciples who knew Jesus best said, what did they say? Why is she doing this? We could have sold that perfume and fed the hungry for weeks. They thought of everything they could have done with that money. But once again, Jesus said, she has chosen well and done the right thing. Have you noticed that Jesus never puts the attention on the act or the even uh, or the work? The religious people said, what's the greatest commandment? Do you know the commandments? Don't commit adultery. Don't lie. Don't steal. On and on and on. Well, it starts off with one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. When they said, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus said, well, here's the greatest one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. And there's one that's just as important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Once again, he didn't say the other commandments were bad. He didn't say they were wrong. He didn't say, you don't need to worry about these other ones. You know, just constant. He said, there's two that are the most important. And if you do these, you'll do the rest of them. Pointing again to a place of rest where if you enter it, he says the work will line up. And it is not even based on your own effort. That's powerful. We have a Savior that walked on this earth for 33 years and directed us away from work and pointed us to rest the entire time. Directed us away from the law and to the place at his feet the whole time, yet somehow we often still get it twisted and think, boy, if I don't earn this place, I don't have it anymore. If I'm not good today, he's going to erase my name from the palm of his hand. If I don't do this right or this right, I won't experience these blessings. That's just not what the word says. There is a place in his presence that Mary found that is not about your work whatsoever. It's about the work of Jesus. And when we enter that, everything we do from that point will be done from the place of his presence. We can, uh, some of the popular ways you've heard this said maybe is making room for his presence in your life, practicing his presence. Practice is an important thing. Practice means to apply, right? Practice means to apply something. When you practice his presence, you're applying every benefit that is found in his presence to your life. How do you practice his presence? Acknowledge. Acknowledge that good thing you have in Jesus. Look, turn your attention towards him. Thanksgiving, praise. Where your attention goes, that's where you'll be headed. I want to be sitting at the feet of Jesus. I want even the work that does become the things I'm doing. Instead of the mindset of, I got to earn this place, it's, man, I, I, I'm doing this because of this place I have with Jesus. I don't want to make a bunch of food that Jesus never ordered, even if it's good food. I want to prepare what he said he wanted, and that was just you at his feet. You going to him. 
He makes a way where there's no way, and he can turn a few fish and a few pieces of bread and enough to feed thousands. Don't remember the story of the widow that had the oil. He said, just start pouring it into jars. Collect all the jars you can. Begin to pour it out. She filled up every jar she found, and it only stopped because she ran out of jars. The work that needs to happen, it'll happen. Choose his presence. Choose him. Enter into his rest. And we could not earn his favor or his presence on our best day. Jesus did that. So now it doesn't matter what day we're having. We acknowledge him and begin to experience those benefits. I, I'm excited, we're gonna keep talking about this. We're gonna keep talking about what it means to be in his presence, how we get there. We put it into practice last week for our entire service. In fact, we're gonna close this series out with a Sunday that's going to really be all worship. Uh, the band's gonna play the whole time. There'll be some uh, planned moments uh, in between some of the stuff where somebody maybe has a, uh, somebody will pray. There might be a, an encouraging something, uh, but we're gonna basically design and plan an entire Sunday morning around putting our attention towards Jesus. We're gonna waste every moment we got here together that Sunday on God. We're gonna pour out all the oil that we have on his feet. And it's not gonna, you know, bring a bunch of people to our church, right? It's not gonna, it's not gonna be the best thing out there advertised. Hey, come to our church and you can be out in 20 minutes with a nice message and nobody will know your name and you can hide and do this or that. We're not gonna do any of that. It's not gonna be uh, the, the best thing out there. We're just gonna take every moment and we're gonna pour it out at the feet of Jesus and we're just gonna sit in his presence for that entire day and it's gonna be awesome. It's gonna be awesome. Man, read the story of Mary and Martha for yourself this week. You can read three different accounts in the Gospels. Don't get caught in the trap of doing all the good things because we really can fill up our schedules. Well, this is important, and that's important, and I got to do this, and I got to do that. Even church stuff, I'm, I'm serious. I don't know if you'll hear many pastors saying this. I mean, don't fill your schedule up with just church busyness for an entire week or an entire year. You make room for his presence in your life. You don't need me to do it. You don't need these seats to do it. You don't need this building to do that. This is a benefit when we get to all do this together. It's my favorite thing in the world. So believe me, I want every one of you here every time we have the doors open because I enjoy your presence. I enjoy these things that we're doing together. But don't let any type of busyness stop you from just sitting at the feet of Jesus. Don't let the good stuff stop you from the best thing. Don't let the good works keep you from resting in the best and final work. Because that's who Jesus is and that's what he did. Every one of those we are singing about the promises of God are yes and amen. All goes back to him. It's not because we earned them ever. It's because he did.
And once again, as our attention looks to him, it unlocks something and our faith becomes effective. You're going to experience more life than you ever have by simply looking to Jesus. You're going to experience more freedom than you ever have from sin, from addiction, from frustration, from discouragement, from depression. You'll experience more freedom from these things than you ever have by simply looking to him and sitting at his feet. And it starts with attention. You can turn your attention toward him by opening up the word and reading it. Putting on a worship album and just sitting there and singing with him, singing to him, or just sitting there. And when you're doing things, acknowledge him. Pray. Put on some worship music if you have a job where you can listen to music and just let your attention continually turn towards him. Watch how much things change in your life. It's going to be powerful. Let's be a church filled with Marys, not Marthas. <laughs> and it isn't, it's, it's kind of sad because she gets a bad rap for doing like good things. That's why I like to keep saying it, because there's just a best thing. There's a better thing. Let's all stand. I'm going to invite the band up. I'm going to say this one last thing here. Uh, a lot of times we relate the presence of God to a feeling. Like if I don't feel like he's here, he's not here. If I don't get a goosebump, it's not happening. If I don't uh, become overcome with emotion, it's not happening. We walk by faith and not by sight. You could go ahead and lump every one of your other physical senses into that verse. We walk by faith and not by feeling. We walk by faith and not by hearing with our physical ears. We walk by faith and not by anything physical. The presence of God is an absolute. Philip walked with Jesus as a disciple, saw all the miracles, and then Jesus is talking to him and Philip says, if we could just see the Father, if you would just show us the Father, we'd be satisfied. And Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But my point in this is that Philip walked with Jesus and evidently didn't have the feeling. He evidently didn't have the goosebumps. Maybe he saw so many miracles, they just became like second, hand, like second nature. Oh, wow, somebody else got healed. Another dead person raised from the dead. Wow, okay, this is becoming pretty normal. The feeling that he had at first went away. He was still in the presence of Jesus. And a lot of us have based a lot of things on our feelings. Our feelings are important. They're valid. They point to things, right? So we need to pay attention to them, but we don't need to let them control us. But the presence of God is not based on a feeling. It's a constant, consistent thing. And as we turn and acknowledge him, even if the feeling doesn't come, he's there with you. And every one of those benefits become effective, according to Philemon 1.6. Boy, that's good. That's so good. Thank you, Lord, for your rest. Thank you that you did the work. Thank you that you did the work. Man.
we're so grateful. We're grateful for, for, for what you do put in our path, Lord, but what my prayer is is that instead of working and laboring and doing things, even if it's for you, with the mindset that we've got to earn our place with you, that all of these things will become an outpouring of our life that begins from your presence at every moment. There's nothing we could do to earn this place. There's nothing we could do to get removed from this place. You didn't even kick the sinners out of your presence when you walked the earth. You invited them all to that place with you. Help us to begin to see ourselves the way you see us. I love this line that I, I, I hear the band playing that we're going to sing this. The one who knows me best loves me the most. Man, I know for a fact there's those of us in this room that think if anybody in this room really knew me, they wouldn't love me the way they do. If they saw the real me, if they saw the ugly side. Well, listen, God has seen every side of you inside and out, left and right, up and down. He knows you better than anybody else, yet he still loves you the most. He knew you before you were born and he has seen the end from the beginning. And seeing all of that, you were still called the joy that was set before him. The reason he endured the cross and the shame and the suffering. That's just good, good news. Lord, help us to get a revelation of that as we practice your presence right now, singing these songs, singing this, this melody to you as a body. Thank you that even right now, we are getting a revelation of this place of rest we have in your presence. We love you so much. Amen. Let's put this into practice and let's worship your friends.